and welcome to From the Rookery End. We're at the uh, From the Rookery End Summer Barbecue. Are you full, Michael? I'm never completely full. <laughs> I've probably had enough, but I should be going back for seconds very shortly. Um, it's all cooked. It's all ready to go. Um, we're, this is, our, I think, our first ever podcast we've ever done in June. And we're, we're going to talk about some things that have happened uh, so far. In the background, you might hear um, running and shouty children, because this is a family barbecue. So we'll make this a family podcast. Uh, here uh, also with Mike is, uh, is Jason. Good evening. Uh, and DCW is with us at the moment. Hello. Uh, and uh, at the other in the garden, and um, we'll get them on a bit later on. Geordie, uh, 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 Dave Levy, and also Kieran uh, are all here, and we'll we, we get us all on at some point in the, in the podcast. We look forward, and we've already had a conversation: is what do we number this podcast? Is are we in the new season yet? Are we are still at the end of the last season, David? Do you think? I don't think we're in the new season yet. The transfer window hasn't opened. If you were playing Football Manager, you wouldn't have next season's budget yet, and the fixtures would still be as last season. <laughs> okay, um, Jason, is this, are, we, are we starting this podcast with a seven or an eight? Um, can we can we say seven and a half? <laughs> is that allowed? Well, no, we've had seven point five. You see, so yeah, mathematically, I mean, to be fair, our numbering of the podcast is mathematically incorrect. Yeah, so you could have seven and a half point one. All right, Stephen. <laughs> I reckon it should be eight. Eight. It's a new dawn. It's a new season. It's a new approach. A new chapter. Eight point zero. Okay. Well, we, we're, the deciding factor will be uh, young Florence, uh, Mike's daughter, Florence. Uh, are we going to call this, start this podcast with an eight or a seven? A seven. Why? I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll figure it out. You can see the, in the title of this podcast. Um, the, the big talking point, I suppose, that we've had uh, and been waiting to hear about, and it didn't take too long, in fact, uh, was the change of manager. Uh, we said goodbye to What's-His-Face. I can't even remember what his name is now. Uh, and now we, hit, we have a new uh, head coach in Marco Silva. Mike, when it was announced, how did you feel? I felt good, and I think uh, you. one of the reasons was, because you alluded to there, we did it quickly. We got the business done nice and quickly. Marco Silva was someone we assumed was going to be in uh, in demand. We know Palace is still looking for a manager and now Southampton are. So I was quite impressed by the way that we secured someone who definitely other people are going to be looking at. And yeah, got it done right at the very, very start of the summer, giving him the most possible chance to uh, to get his feet under the, under the table at Watford to understand how the club works, to understand what's expected of him. And then to actually get on with the doing of it. So I was really, really pleased that they just made a decisive decision earlier. We know with the Pozzos that usually we, they'll, they'll give you a name that we don't expect or, or know. So in some ways, it's quite nice to get a name that we know. Uh, we, we saw him do reasonably well at Hull last year. He's young, speaks good English. Um, so, yeah, excited. We, I fit, everyone felt a little bit jaded, didn't they, after, after last year? It was, a, it, was a tough, it was a tough season one way or another. If you look back on it, out in the Cups early, the, the style of play was poor. Yes, we beat United. Yes, we, had, we did have some, some high peaks, but overall it was a slog. The, and the more you look back on it, the more you realise that. So, new broom coming in, uh, and it feels like an exciting one. It feels like one that, given you know my footballing knowledge, my awareness of what football head coaches are out there, the best that we, if I had to choose, I'd have gone for him. Because I was a bit funny, Dave, <clears throat> about this, because um, I sort of looked as a non-Hull fan uh, who doesn't pay that much attention to Hull. And then you, you look at the fact that they were very close to staying up, but they failed at the end. And my sort of initial reaction was, well, he, he didn't, make it, didn't make it happen and motivate a team, which was one of our big problems, um, when it was needed. Um, but I suppose that's me not quite knowing the full story of what he did at Hull. Yeah, I think you've got to look at the whole picture. I mean, he came in in January 
and then, the whole picture or the whole <laughs> <laughs> both yeah yeah and he came in in January um, and they were bottom of the Premier League they had 13 points and they finished the season on 34 points which wasn't enough for them to stay up but he got them playing a lot better than they were in the first half of the season and when like when they came in he lost pretty much straight away their three best players they sold Snodgrass who ended the season as their top goal scorer which tells you another, another thing about this season um, they sold Livermore to West Brom and Ryan Mason fractured his skull and was out for pretty much most of the rest of the season so you know, he was up against it he brought some players in but he improved that team significantly they were in with a fighting chance of, of relegation at the end right when it came down to it they fluffed their lines lost a game at home uh, to Sunderland, which they, you know, they, they should have won. They, they lost to Swansea in another big match. Lost to Palace. Those games, if they won those, they they would be they'd be staying up. Maybe Hull would still have Marcus Silva in charge. But I think if you speak to Hull City fans and you you speak to people who watched Hull last season, they were all very impressed with what Marcus Silva did. He made them harder to beat. They were very good at home. They weren't very good away. They only won one match away all season, and that was in August. Um, so that might be cause for concern. Um, you know. We've not been very good away, have we, really, ourselves? But he did a good job. And, and I think, like Mike was saying, we've got someone here that we know about, but also a lot of other clubs we're interested in. Palace, we've seen all the, the Palace fans on Twitter, how angry they were when, when, when it was announced that we got him. They thought they had him all sealed. Um, and he was linked with Porto. I, I saw some reports linking him with Inter Milan as well. So this is a man that was very much sought after. And we've pulled off a bit of a coup. So I went to a wedding the uh, the other week and uh, sat next to a, a Portuguese journalist and he <clears throat> originally I said oh you, we, we've got a new manager and my club he's, he's Portuguese and he laughed at me and I was really worried for a while there and he thought I said wolves um, but uh, but I said Watford and we clarified that he went oh that's fine and he was very you know he, he talked about the, the the job that he did at his, his first managerial uh, position where he you know he took a team that was was all over the place with a change of um, owners uh, from a, to a Brazilian owners and a load of players come in from Brazil and he sort of really sort of gelled the team together and, and took them took them to, to great heights yes Portuguese football but could do something with uh, whatever he was, uh, was was given so what is he going to do Jason tactically what did he sort of I know we, we can't say he's definitely going to do the same not manage, hopefully no manager does exactly the same no matter what players they have they sort of look at the the make of the players they have, the squad they have. What are we likely to think to see in terms of the way he's going to play Watford? Well, Dave mentioned about the fact he made Hull a lot more harder to beat. And I can see him coming in and doing that at Watford as well. We saw quite a few games last season where we went to go down and we looked dishevelled, disorganised and easily overrun at the back. Uh, I don't think he'll allow that to happen. I think we'll be a lot more solid there. And I think it will be a lot more organised generally as well. He's a man who likes to play on the counter-attack and on the counter-attack with pace. We Obviously, we, we came up against him at the KC last season. They had a man sent off early on and that almost sort of exaggerated the way he liked to get hold to play, which was be solid defensively, play on the counter. But when they counter-attacked, they did it at pace. They got players forward, um, that create the chances and got the goals and we saw we, we lost to a, a team with 10 men 2-0 uh, and I think that is what we will get from him we'll, we've got weapons up front that we can make use of we probably need to add to that maybe more in terms of pace to, to play that way but I think that will probably be his first call he'll have a look at what he's got he'll have his preferred style of playing I think that's where, where we'll go first that solid at the back counter-attack but do it with pace and with conviction it's good that he did come in early because you can have a full review of last year, 
get an understanding of, of our failings, which I think there were, were many in terms of the personnel. In terms, I think we need strengthening in defence, in <laughs> midfield and attack. Um, but this, he's got the best possible chance as a head coach. You've literally got the whole summer yawning ahead of you. You've got pre-season, you've got the transfer window about to open in, in July. So that's why it was just so vital because I think we've got... I think the squad is good, but I think we're missing fairly sizable pieces of the jigsaw. Um, and I think he'll hopefully work well with, with Scott and Gino and the, and the other guys there at Watford to really identify some targets. You know, we're not going to be mixing it with the, with the big boys. We can't, we can't go for the obvious targets, but I think he's canny enough. Um, he, he's got an understanding of the Premier League, which I think is important, which already gives him one up on, on Matsari and, 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 and Kike before him. So, yeah, I think the timing of it for me is, is the most exciting thing and the thing that gives me the most hope. I was looking at that playoff final, thinking when Huddersfield went up, actually how far behind they're going to be of Brighton and Newcastle in terms of turning that, you know, getting their, sort themselves out to be a Premier League club, especially with those signings. You know, they've got about a month ahead, I think, Brighton and Newcastle. And, you know, I don't know what Palace are going to be like. They still haven't appointed their manager. You know, the what is going to happen? And there we are two weeks away from when the players are put back. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to put them on the back foot straight away. Not impossible, but on the back foot. What I would say is I think this will be a summer transfer window where the, where the Pozzo family and Watford come under the most scrutiny. Because if you look back, if you did a, a spreadsheet of, or a marking sheet, if you like, of all the transfers that have come in, how many have been unqualified successes up for debate and how many have been unqualified successes in the Premier League you know, they certainly did a job getting us out of the championship. They gave us a couple of great seasons. We ultimately got up, and I don't think they can argue they were successful there. But really, you know, a lot of the chatter recently has been about Niang. Everton fans have been asking us about him, and I remember when he first came, I was really excited about him. He looked great, but then he turned out to be that guy. That's why he's at Watford. You know, Etienne Capu, that's why he's at Watford. And I think there's been too many of those, and we need to be getting them before they before they turn bad, if you like, before they show that sign of, of bad apples a bit, a bit strong. But we need to find those real uncut diamonds, those diamonds in the rough, and really make the most of them, which, which is what really the, the Pozzos have made their, their name on over, over the years. And I think Watford fans will expect, um, and at the very least hope for, a much, much stronger window in terms of when we have this conversation next year, the guys that come in, they need to have been, you know, we talk about, uh, Amrabat, we talk about Will Burkhouse come back and ultimately he wasn't at Watford this year because he didn't, for whatever reason, he didn't fit the coach's plans. He didn't, he didn't meet Kike's expectations and therefore was shipped out. So that has to be a failure, whether that's Kike's fault, whether it's Burkhouse's fault, whether it's recruitment guys' fault. Something's gone wrong because play and, you know, look at Alari and, and guys like that and we're not getting players coming in. I don't expect them to hit the ground running necessarily, but building up, Takure, for example. He is he is one that I would say they've got absolutely right, but only just because they almost binned him off in December, in January. So I think there are question marks over over the recruitment, and I think this is I think Watford supporters will be a little bit more discerning, a little bit more questioning, a little bit more you know a bit more critical friends. I think when they when they view it. So I think it's a big test for them this year, but it feels like they've got all the tools in place to do to do well. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. You don't really want to know about our opinions. There's only one opinion Watford fans really want to know about. Uh, his name's Arlo. Uh, Mike's surname is Parkin. Uh, he has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. 
Welcome, Michael Parkinson. Hello, Ali. How are you? Good. Well, how, how do you feel about the new Watford manager, Marco Silva? Good. What do you think he'll do for the Watford team? Make them do better skills. What, what is there any skill in particular you want them to start with? Yes, Rabona. We're in the league with that, will we? Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Arlo. Bye. The fixture list came out. I'm joined now by uh, Kieran. Hello, John. Uh, hello, and uh, Geordie. Hiya. Uh, and the fixtures came out. Um, it's always an exciting day. Uh, what's the first? What's the first fixture you look for, Geordie? Uh, probably the first fixture I look for is the first fixture. <laughs> uh, and what, the second one? <laughs> uh, uh, well, the second one's probably around on my birthday, which is the start of December, uh, and Christmas, kind of Boxing Day, uh, you know, the New Year, that little gap to see are we playing home or away. Then you look at the, like, the run-in as well to see, I guess, our ambition, depends what our ambition is, is our ambition to stay up because basically the end of the season since we've been in the Premier League and this current... Um, little spell have been less than exciting so you don't want to be relying on anything so I guess you look at that too but uh, unless you've got like a particular game you like going to maybe like a local game or a game that you're going to go because you've got family there or you've got some kind of connection to the city the fixtures I counted them because uh, <laughs> I think it's were they all there? they were all there I was concerned because I know that um, some of the players were complaining that they were a bit tired from Atsari's training and obviously last season we played 38 league games uh, less than a handful in the Cups and you know Real Madrid won the Champions League, the Spanish League, and uh, and so on, with and played sixty games at least. Yeah. You know, so a little bit less sympathetic. So I wanted to make sure they weren't going to have to play too many games and be tired. Yeah. Um, so we're lucky it's still thirty-eight. Looking at the fixtures, to be honest, there's last season kind of showed it. There's there's six teams really that you expect to get nothing against, and then there's thirteen teams that anything could happen against. And it's really just as long as you kind of balance out the points you lose with the points you gain out of those 13 games if we win half of them you've got 39 points you're almost safe so I think, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to, to really look at a particular time or a tip and, and see what's happening to, to see what's going to be important because everyone's playing all the teams you don't know who's going to be injured you don't know who's going to be on form yeah. so, uh, so you go to your question the first thing I look at is the first game of the season Kieran, did anything stand out for you? You, know, you look at it, and like I say, I remember last year looking at it going, oh gosh, look at the beginning, oh gosh, look at the end. Um, it didn't really feel like that to, to me. It's, it feels fairly spread out. I think there's one spell where we, we play Arsenal and Chelsea, uh, one after the other. But on the whole, it didn't feel like we had any nightmare spells. Did anything stand out for you? You're right, no nightmare spells. I was speaking to uh, a few people when the fixtures came out. I have to confess, I'm not one of those people who gets overly excited when the fixtures come out. We play 38 games as we did last season, as we will do next season, hopefully as long as we stay up. I don't get overly excited about the fixtures coming out. It doesn't really bother me who we play when. We have to play them all at some point. But I think the thing that did stand out for me is how crammed the Christmas and New Year period is. We were looking at it just before we started chatting. And between the 25th of November and the 3rd of January, more than a quarter of the season is crammed into that six weeks. It's 10 games in that in that period. And to me, that just seems absolutely bonkers, you know, to to cram so many fixtures in. Number one, over the winter period, when there's always that chance of fixtures being postponed. And number two, we speak so often about how players, as you already just said, how they get tired and how there can be fatigue that kicks in, suspensions, injuries. You're essentially cramming in the biggest part of the season into six weeks and uh, to me that just seems completely bizarre yeah, I, the only thing I can put that down to is it's a World Cup year so I, I think we have to finish earlier so we have to finish earlier because the Champions League has to finish earlier but also the fact that maybe they're sort of hedging their bets 
because if there is bad weather, you don't want to have, with a big World Cup on the way, having a, uh, a lot of games packed into the end of the, the last couple of weeks of the season with delays and FA Cups and all the rest of it. So <clears throat> maybe there's a little bit of uh, tactics going on there. I don't know. We haven't spoken to the Premier League about their fixture uh, policy. The thing you've got to think is also the, the, the Premier League plays second fiddle to the Champions League when it comes to fixtures. And you know the whole thing about you can't have a game on if it's a Champions League game um, because of TV rights or some kind of nonsense uh, you know looking after their own their own their own interests so obviously December there's no I don't think there's any game weeks no. in, the, in the it's kind of it's in that winter break so it's kind of it's almost like we're forced to, to fill our calendar uh, then and obviously we've got the um, the League Cup whatever it's been called now yeah. uh, which is an extra cup competition that we have in this country which kind of eats into it so yeah, I guess it is it is a bit bizarre that you have so many games in such a short period of time because it's only like a relatively minor injury could see a key player miss out or if, you know, if you're Holobas, uh, it's whether he would have been able to accrue sufficient uh, yellow cards <laughs> to, to maybe sit out and keep himself fresh for the new half of the year, the new half of the season. Um, so, fingers crossed. You know, I think I think I looked at it and we got the Boxing Day, and then just before uh, New Year's, we got at home. So you have got two games in a row. So you know, obviously traveling, it's not a huge, massive country, and they fly everywhere anyway. Yeah. But for the fans, it's kind of nice that festive period. Like I said before, we kick off with a home game against probably one of the six teams you don't expect to get anything against. So. You know, hopefully Silver's first game, the new signings will be looking to kind of make an impression and we can, you know, it's a chance for us to start the season well. What you don't want is a kind of one of those away game to West Brom, which if you win it, it's like, okay, good. Uh, but it's not like the start of a, it's not a spark. Yeah. But if you lose it, it's kind of, well, no, we've got to beat them at home now just to break even against them. So I'm kind of glad in that sense. Uh, and then finishing the season away at Man United. Who knows where they are? What they're going to be doing at the end of the season? Um, they, you know, they could be in complete disarray, or they could be going for uh, for the league. You know, if they get the right signing. So, you know, I think Mourinho would like them to go for the World Cup, probably. No, yeah. Him. Well, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes, yeah, probably his aspiration is to win the World Cup. We may know it. Yeah, that's what Kieran was saying. The fixtures, everyone's got to play everyone. You don't know who's going to be. You know, who who would have looked at it a couple of years ago and gone, oh, no, Leicester, that's going to be tough. They'll probably win the league. You know, so uh, and then last season, they're on the on the mailing list. Um, they kind of do a, a, a prediction league. And obviously no one gets it absolutely right because yeah. there's always teams that do a little bit better than you thought, teams that do a little bit worse. This year, and we have to be careful because as Watford fans, we got upset when people did it to us and said, oh, well, Watford would be the favourites to go down. And obviously Huddersfield are probably the favourites to go down. But you look at Newcastle coming up. They're, they're, they're a Premier League team who were kind of having a little trip in the championship. And, and Brighton are kind of coming up organically. So they'll expect to... They'll probably be one of the favourites to go down, but it would be no surprise if they were to stay up. So teams will be looking at their fixture list and their kind of their podcast will be saying who do you think we can win against and they'll be looking at games against Watford and thinking well we pretty do Watford at home because they've still got that small town tag I think another thing our home form at the end of the season is going to be really key because four of the last five away games are Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham and Man United and you've got Huddersfield sandwiched in there in the middle as well and as Jordi was saying Huddersfield will be a lot of people's favourites to go down but if they're scrapping for points a bit like Burnley were towards the end of the season a bit like we were towards the end of the season if they're scrapping for points that's not going to be an easy away journey either but I tell you what what five cracking games that is to end the season away (laughs) if you like going to away games like we do Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, Tottenham and Huddersfield bring them on just what Gary was saying about Huddersfield away, it, I think I remember it was referenced as being 
almost like the spark that when we are this our journey at the end of the promotion started when we got thumped away at Huddersfield and Jukanovic kind of was not best pleased and some stuff changed. I think he got did Igalo score when he wasn't a proper goal scorer yet. Yeah, yeah. He, hadn't, he hadn't played Blackpool and kind of uh, <laughs> had that. That, that was the game before the Blackpool game, wasn't it? Was it was that, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I forget in the, in the, in he was back in the championship days. <laughs> the what? <laughs> I kind of felt kind of washed myself off off of that the history of what cleanse yourself. Yeah, so what we don't want obviously is in that run of away fixtures is for Huddersfield to kind of bookend our little uh, fairy tale uh, and it's kind of where it all ends so so yeah definitely uh, you know, Marco Silva's got a good home record historically so we need to make Vickers Road a fortress um, and that's the fans got to play their role in that too because last season there was a lot of kind of mumblings and utterings and stuff and it didn't we didn't always act 100% in our own favour and we, you know looking at the league how tight it is there is the, the deflections, the kind of referees' decisions, the bits of injuries, the bits of luck that go both ways. But another 0.1% if, if, like, is, is the role of the fans and the atmosphere we create and, and how we play our part. So hopefully, uh, you know, to Kieran's point, the away record will be important, but the home record will be really important and we can all play our part in that. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Transfers haven't quite started yet, so technically... Um, we did uh, sign Tom uh, cleverly, even though I think that's still not quite officially happened yet. But we, we knew that's going to happen. Uh, I've got the Daves with me now. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave Cam Walker, and uh, Dave uh, Levy. Dave, you right? Good, thanks. How are you? Um, the man who uh, is being talked about at the moment leaving, uh, it's the, one of the, the talking points, is uh, Herrera Gomez. Goalkeeper's always easy to, to put down because they're the last person who the ball goes past. But it's weird having a lot of talk about him being a man who uh, is on his way out of Watford. It does feel strange because I think last season the thing that upset a lot of fans was the lack of the emotional connection between the coaching staff and fans. But Gomez is one of the few, well, one of the players who provides a really strong emotional link because he's very expressive, because uh, obviously of where he stands in the pitch. But you think of some of the big goal celebrations over the last three or well, three seasons, and he's been involved in all of them, some really iconic pictures and moments. I do find it a bit odd because. I didn't think he had a bad season. I thought he had a very good season. I mean, goalkeepers tend to play on a bit later than outfield players. Um, and yeah, he's getting on a bit. He's coming to the end of his career. No, he's not. He's younger than me. He's not getting on at all. <laughs> in football terms, yeah. not in life terms. But I think he's been excellent, very steady, very good. He cost us a few goals last season, but he saved us more than he cost us. And I think he's, I think he was excellent. I find, it, I find this talk that you mentioned of him moving on quite strange. I would concede that we need a succession plan and if the club are thinking about bringing in someone who could bed in for a season and then take over from him then that's sensible of course because we haven't had someone who looks like they could replace him either in the short or long term. So yeah I don't see the need to replace him this season but it may, may be his last one and so we need someone to, ready to take over after that. A guy called Neto who is either going to be a great striker or a great goalkeeper is... What, what do we what what do we need? Like you know, goal, I always find weird goal, um, goalkeepers because they are often you want them to be old, and you know the the prime is when they're old. You know, do we sign go for young? That's a very potso thing to do, or do you go for another experienced? But then that player is not going to be happy because Gomez is not going straight out the door. It's it's I think it's one of the hardest balances they're going to have to figure out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you want the goalkeepers to be good, whether they're young or old, don't you? I mean, there's some great young goalkeepers around. Look at Jordan Pickford and, you know, Courtois and David De Gea and all. They were in teams, very, very good teams when they were very, very young. So they don't have to be old, but, but you know, they can play on longer. And I don't think Gomez should be discarded just yet. And it'll be interesting if we do 
signed this this Neto that we've been linked with. I mean, he's currently the understudy to Buffon at Juventus, so he will have learned a hell of a lot, you'd think, by playing with one of the by playing and training with one of the, the greatest goalkeepers of his generation. But also, if we do sign him, you'd imagine it'd probably be for a fair bit of money, and he's probably going to want to play. You know, if he's leaving Juventus to come to Watford. I, would, I wouldn't have thought he wants to sit on the bench. So it would be interesting to see whether if we sign him or if we sign someone else, whether they are put straight into the team or whether it's a bit of a transition situation, sort of similar to when uh, Lloris joined Spurs. Brad Friedel had the, had the number one shirt and he kind of played for a few weeks until he maybe made a few mistakes and it was easy for the coach to put Lloris in and then he never looked back. But I... Of all, and you, my views on Gomez have been well documented on the podcast before. Of all the the areas of the pitch, I don't think we need to be sorting out the goalkeeper. There are there are big problems in almost every other position, and the goalkeeper is the one thing I think you know shouldn't shouldn't worry about too much. But as Dave said, a succession plan is needed. I don't think Costa Pantilimon is is going to be sort of the long term number one successor to Gomez. He's a, he's a good backup keeper. Um, Gomez's stats last season weren't as good as the season before, but the defence was better all round the season before. So I think he's broadly performed as good pretty much last season as he did the season before, and I, I certainly would stick with him. Does it need to be a season of transition? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a transition from uh, from another mid-table solid season into trying to push higher up the league. But I think that needs to be done from a recognition that the Potsers really need to get this right. We've always had a high player turnover. We've we've always had that in the last ever since the Pozzo's owned the club, but and we've also had a high head coach turnover, of course. <laughs> and you really feel like this is this is the one they really need to get right. And I think it's they've done well with Silva. You know, sometimes you get a feeling that because he was in so demand with other teams, that that's a really good move. Um, I have to say, I didn't watch a lot of Hull, so I can't uh, describe what he did tactically. But it feels like the right sort of move, and I hope they back him up. Um, yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see if we sign some more British players because I thought Cleverly was a really excellent signing for lots of reasons. Not just because he's English, but because he knows the Premier League. And I do feel like some of the signings we need to make need to know how to play in this league. And it comes with a lot of challenges that are not just technical, they're mental. And I think that's what we need to see this season. I hate talking about uh, individual players, even though we have to talk about Neto, <clears throat> just because I love his name. Uh, the, the the player that I want is which was weird, has been um, uh, rumoured, is Will Hughes. Um, British, which we have space for, and young, so therefore very potso. Um, but he hasn't. He's not. He wouldn't be coming here to be a starter, though, would he? I, I, it'd be interesting. I, I don't think he would at the moment. But I mean, you can't really comment until you see the whole makeup yeah. of, the, of the squad in August. But, but, but let, let's sort of say. I mean, I mean, in terms of a player like him. Yeah, but he is an interesting player because. It wasn't that long ago that he was being linked with moves to Liverpool and some of the real top Premier League clubs were rumoured to be interested in him. You know, broke into the Derby team at very young age. I think he was 16 or 17 when he when he first played and looked like he was going to be one of the next rising stars of English football. But as as with quite a lot of players like him, he hasn't quite kicked on for whatever reason. And that, that doesn't mean that if we sign him, you know, he's not going to be a good player. He's still young. He's still, 20, he's still only 22 years old. So he, his capacity to improve and to learn and develop is, is still there. But I was, I did raise an eyebrow when I heard that we were linked with him. He, wasn't, he isn't necessarily the sort of player I think, you know, I would have expected us to go for. But, I mean, I suppose he, he's in a similar mould to Cleverly, really, sort of young British central midfielder. And you'd, them, them two you'd be looking at probably competing to sort of be in, in the team. But the Will, Will Hughes type signing age, 
is would be definitely attract what you call a for for the transitional season. Yeah. When cleverly actually the signing you bring in and he did and Wilkinsu straight away was 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 there and it was influential. Well, I, I do think we in general just need to lower the average age of the squad. We've got quite a lot of aging players which you know and experience is a good thing and it's probably has stood us in good stead I think for the last few seasons to have experience and perhaps the Pozzos went a bit against their model yeah. some of the signings that they made were, were not necessarily what you would you would think and not, not a lot of them had much sell-on value so maybe this summer now we've had two seasons in the Premier League you might see some signings with you know with more with a more potential and with future sellings uh, sales on in, in mind in terms of their model but you know, I I would I would welcome. I, I think it's always as we talked about cleverly last season. I think it's always a good thing to sign British players and to sign young players. I think it's a it's a good thing. Thank you for listening. But, uh, thank you for everyone who uh, keeps interacting over this summer break uh, on our, uh, our Twitter handle, at Watford Podcast. Uh, Mike, you asked a question of the day. Uh, if you could change one thing, what would it be? What kind of response did we get? Yeah, well, I thought it was um, the reason I asked it, because we said earlier, new broom, sort of feels, everything feels new and shiny. So let's give everyone a chance to sort of say what they would do. What would there be little, their particular thing they'd do to, to change Watford for the better? Someone mentioned... Not coming out to Z cars, scrapping Z cars, and then everybody else said no. Not everybody else, I must say, it wasn't exclusively no. It was a loud chorus of of disapproval. Um, I understand that there's probably a generation who, basically, I think there's a generation and and plenty before them who their first memory of Watford is that flash of the green turf, hearing Z cars, and then then seeing your, your heroes in yellow come out of the pitch. And for me, that's pretty sacred. That is entwined with the whole Watford experience and whilst yes I know it's not the most modern tune it doesn't necessarily get you get you going it's still you know 30 years on from my whatever it is from my first Watford experience it still gets the the hairs of my, on the back of my neck standing up I'm gonna say I, I, I know that it's, it's uh, compa- comparatively not the uh, most uh, dr- get you driving get you ready for a game of football but the fact it is that song is the reason I get the the tingle in the back of my my neck because it's at that moment of when Watford come out and it doesn't matter you know it, it could technically be any song it means one thing it means one thing a Watford match is minutes away or an Everton match <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for us it means a Watford match is minutes away and for, for, for us and for, for everyone listening pretty much the most exciting part of our, of our week isn't it so yeah it was fascinating to see how many I was pleased to see that three quarters I reckon four fifths maybe yeah. were saying but I think the, the worry about if you change it for a bit more of an upbeat sort of what is that it's it's going to be. It doesn't. It's going to be something that someone else has played, or it's going to be a, a, yeah, something from yeah, a yeah. film or an advert or something. Whereas Z Cars is quirky and it's almost, almost unique with a little, with a little nod to to Everton, obviously. Um, anything else came up? Yep. Um, someone says uh, uh, quite a few people said safe standing, which I think is probably a, a wider debate, but interesting to know that that people are still wanting it. It's still. It's well, at the at the. Uh at our place event that I went to um, near the end of the season, Glenn Evans, uh, who's the head of operations, said, no, we actually do have, technically, controlled safe standing in uh, in Vicarage Road. One's the away end and the other one is the 1881. People are standing and it is it is safe. It isn't 
a complete change to the to the whole the whole end. So I think the club do as, as much as they can or can already. Uh, and anything else? Yes, so there was one I loved from from Dan Harvey, Harvey the Hornet. A lack of proper silverware, and on the face of it, that could be construed as a bit flippant. I, I want to win something, but it's true. The one thing missing from from Watford's rich tapestry, Watford's history, Watford's amazing story, is a proper proper cup. And where we find ourselves now is in a in a position where that could well be a reality. Whether it's the the League Cup or the or the FA Cup, the Champions League, uh, who knows? But you know, we we are in with a real chance of making a good good stab at, at one of the cups. Could we win the World Cup? Um, I think West Ham have still got that, haven't they? Can't we? The thing about winning a major piece of silverware as well, it's probably the one thing that them lot up the M1 have still got over us is that they did win the League Cup once upon a time. It would be nice to uh, at least draw level with them on that front. The uh, the thing which um, I got some negative feedback for uh, was when the, uh, the new Watford kit was leaked in a very poor photograph. Uh, everyone was in up in arms about it, and I sort of went, uh, "Don't really, it's not really that important, guys. You know, don't worry about it too much. It's yellow, and I think the only people who should really be worried about the uh, the, the detail of the design are people who are going to wear it as a fashion item. We wear it. We don't wear them as fashion items as football fans on the whole. We wear them because." We wear them to games. Um, so is this your apology, John, to our, sort of. to our legions of followers and Watford supporters who, it's, it's a who clari- are interested in the kit, just because you're not? It's clarity of my point. Um, it's yellow. Um, Jace, do, but let's, let's talk about it. What did you think of it? <laughs> it's all right. It's yellow. It is yellow. <laughs> I can understand why people were sort of making a big thing of it because it's Adidas. And I was quite pleased that it was Adidas. And, you, and there's some, I do like Adidas clothes there's some good stuff out there and i think there's a lot of classic adidas stuff and i think the design that we've got is fairly minimalistic and and classic and i yeah i think it's okay it's got the three stripes on it if you'd have given me a blank piece of paper and gone right design the watford kit for next year i'd have probably put the the stripes on the on the sleeves on the shoulders but i'm not sure we can do that with the Premier League badge and the shirt of the, the sleeve sponsors this year um, and I'll probably have done it black rather than red but it's yellow and I think it looks fine I, yeah. I think from a from a purely logistical point of view I think the deal with Dry World ended prematurely um, we did a deal with Adidas quite quickly and I think quite frankly we were probably missed a cycle of getting an opportunity to get a bespoke kit like like Puma did for us for our first year in, in the Premier League and without wanting to make it I'm not, not down on the kit behind it but it's a it's a basic template that I think you can buy buy in the shops. There, there is a counter argument to that is that I am aware that obviously QPR are in the same position as us as us um, and they have got a bespoke kit designed apparently for next year but then they've gone with Araya um, so probably not as many teams using array at, uh probably not as busy as Adidas so that that's probably why but that just thought I'd put that out there just to uh, counterbalance I think I think you can design a, a kit very easily give me a pencil give me some colouring crayons and I'll, I'll design our oh, kit sure. but I'm saying but actually the manufacturing of it and getting it actually you know getting it all made in time is the bit that just is a logistical nightmare well here we go here's our commitment to the to the kit debate we got a follow from a guy and I looked at his bio and it looked like he was a kit designer for Puma or had oh, yeah. had some input input in that in that world. So I will speak to him. I will endeavour to speak to him and I will try and find out what the process is because I'm quite interested actually yeah. about how it gets from 
you know how you do a deal what the what the finances are who pays who and and how long that what the lead time is and that sort of thing so i will f- try and speak to him and find out that's my summer homework um i'll try and speak to him and find out what the uh the anatomy of a of a kit contract and uh, and delivering that is all about but ultimately the most exciting thing is seeing them out on the pitch we will get used to it very very quickly some people always like the new kit some people always hate it but what always happens is that we always cheer when uh, when we see them out there in it don't we we may have had better. We've certainly had worse. Uh, it looks a bit like I think the uh, the old Liverpool uh, 1980s uh, away kit with that yellow and those black shorts and the red trims. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this uh, June uh, from the Ricker End, uh, which is a weird thing that we don't normally do. Uh, we're going to try and do a few other podcasts between now and the start of the season uh, and the Graham Taylor Memorial game, uh, uh, but we're not quite sure what those are, and we will uh, you'll know about them when they're ready to be downloaded. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you. And thank you also to Kieran, to DCW, Geordie and uh, David Levy for, uh, for being here uh, for our little barbecue uh, and for getting involved. A season ahead, there's only one phrase I want to hear from your mouth, Michael. What is it? Pass me another burger. <laughs>